Welcome to the Messianic Jewish Life Podcast. Hi, this is Daniel Nessim, and today we'll begin our series by discussing the Hasmonean legacy that formed the world of Messianic Judaism over 2,000 years ago. Did Messianic Judaism come into being in a vacuum? Are people right when they say if there was no Hanukkah, there would have been no Christmas? Who were the Maccabees and their heirs, the Hasmonean dynasty? Where did they come from and how did they influence the world that would become the cradle, not only of Judaism and Christianity as we know them, but the nascent Messianic Jewish movement? In this podcast, I will share with you some things you know, but also some things you probably haven't considered before. As we follow history setting the stage for the messianic ferment of Rabbi Yeshua's day and forming the foundations for what would later become Judaism and Christianity, we will be looking at history from a unique Jewish perspective, from the Jewish perspective of Jews who believe that Yeshua of Nazareth was actually the Messiah of Israel. But more of that in future episodes. Today we will begin our story with Ezra. One could start the story of Messianic Judaism in the Torah with the promises to the patriarchs or even to God's promises to Adam and Chava in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. Today, however, we will begin our story again with Ezra, the scribe. In 536 BCE, 42,360 exiles had returned to the land of Israel and in particular the area of Jerusalem and Judea with Zerubbabel. Cyrus, the king of Persia, had made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth has the Lord, the God of heaven, given me. And he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, his God, be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So 42,360 people came to Jerusalem in response to Cyrus' proclamation, and in their footsteps some 80 years later came Ezra. When he did so, he also brought with him copies of the Torah, more of the children of Israel, as well as more priests, Levites, and singers. For Ezra had set his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and ordinances. He and the people with him were very fluent in Aramaic, in fact, more so than in Hebrew, and so it was that he needed to employ scribes to make the sense of the Hebrew text of the Torah clear to the people. Ezra then proceeded to set in place some basic principles of Jewish life and made halachic rulings that would form the beginning of a tradition that would shape the religion of the Jewish people during the entire Second Temple period. That's from the time the Second Temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel until the Jewish revolts of the 1st and 2nd centuries CE. This made a profound change in Israel. The Judaism that we know today was beginning to be formed. 
This was going to radically change Jewish life, and it was going to affect the world into which Messiah came. But what happened in those years between 456 BCE and the birth of Messiah about 6 BCE? We're talking 450 years here. That's about as much time from the beginning of the expulsion of the Jews from Spain in 1492. That's twice as long as the United States has existed and three times as long as Canada has been an independent country. We don't know too much about what happened in the early centuries of that long 450-year span, but we do know of some crucial events that occurred about 300 years into them at 167 years BCE. If you're actively listening, you're probably guessing exactly what those events were. Latkes and Sufganiot are coming to mind. Those were the events that surrounded the Hellenization program of Antiochus Epiphanes and the resting back of control of the Holy Temple and the Holy City by the valiant Maccabees. Every year we celebrate the events surrounding the rededication of the Temple in the holiday of Hanukkah. We remember the valiant Maccabees and their miraculous victories over the far more powerful and organized Greek armies, and yes, even over the Jews who were on the side of the Greeks. But guess what? The Hanukkah story is not all that it's cracked up to be. I hate to disappoint you. Unfortunately, the heirs of these valiant warriors ended up being almost as bad, maybe worse, than the people they fought against. Some would even say they were worse. Judah the Maccabee passed the torch to Jonathan. Jonathan did something remarkable. He made himself the high priest and the ruler of Judea. He united the two roles, religious authority and civil authority. Americans would say uniting the authority of church and state. This had never been done before. And if ultimate power corrupts, Jonathan became a fine example. Then after him came Simon, and then his son, John Hyrcanus. And this is where things get even murkier. Hyrcanus conquered Edom on the east side of the Jordan River and the east side of the Dead Sea. And that's where the Edomites lived. Edomians, as we called them. He forcibly converted them. That might have seemed like a good thing, but ultimately from the Edomians would eventually come the ingenious but wicked ruler Herod, who would seek to prove his validity by building not only a beautiful temple, but by destroying anybody who did not fit into his program and anybody who might at all possibly be a threat to him. But back to John Hyrcanus. During Hyrcanus' reign, both the Pharisees arose and the Sadducees. They were both religious and political parties. And essentially, these two parties differed on the authority of the Torah and how to interpret it. 
Ultimately, as the Pharisees tried to apply the Torah to daily life, they followed the agenda of Ezra, who wanted to make the Torah applicable to people in his day, to interpret it for them. The Sadducees, in contrast, held a very limited and strict interpretation of the Torah in order to uphold their position as custodians of the temple and to limit the Torah's restrictions on their own lives. Being in love with power, they also fell in love with the very Hellenism, the very Greek culture that their ancestors had shed their blood to remove from the land. And it was one of them, maybe Tzadok, the high priest, for whom they were probably named, whom the Dead Sea Scrolls identify as the wicked priest. This is where it gets really interesting for those who follow Messiah Yeshua. You see, by the time of Yeshua, the priests were well known for their wickedness. The Gospels clearly show their leading role in Messiah's execution and in the subsequent cover-up of his resurrection. They truly were wicked priests. On the other hand, Messiah had much in common with the righteous teacher of the Essenes. He was a teacher who was showing Israel the way of righteousness. The execution of Yeshua was far more than the simple execution of a revolutionary or of a messianic pretender or of a teacher that crossed their boundaries and who they did not like. In reality, Yeshua's execution was the culmination of this long-standing conflict between those like the Pharisees who sought to live by the Torah and to live for God and the Sadducees who tried to limit the Torah and God's instruction to the five books of Moses, excluding all that the judges and the prophets and the writings had said about how that Torah ought to be interpreted for this day. And the Sadducees, by scrapping all of that, sought to throw off all moral restraints and to live a hedonistic Greek lifestyle, even while they were the ones who were responsible for the most holy, holy temple. Ezra had set his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel the statutes and the ordinances. Five centuries later, the Pharisees were still seeking to follow his example. Yes, they came in for a lot of criticism, both from those outside their ranks and even from many within their ranks. They were far from perfect, but they did aspire for better things. On the other hand, the Sadducees, the heirs of the wicked priest identified by the Dead Sea Scrolls, the opposite of the teacher of righteousness, simply grew worse and worse over time. Ultimately, the temple would be destroyed and Jews would be expelled from Jerusalem. Deprived of their power base, the Sadducees would disappear from Jewish history. On the other hand, out of this ferment came what we now call Judaism. And one party in this Judaism, this nascent, this primitive Judaism, nascent Judaism as many people would put it, came nascent Messianic 
Judaism, and its precocious daughter, who would become far more prominent, Christianity. Next week, we will continue to discuss this amazing period from which Messianic Judaism was born. We will take a look at the profound changes that were taking place in Israel. We will also look at some of the other religious movements of the first century, both the first century BCE and CE, movements that had a significant impact on the formation of Messianic Judaism. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Do me a favor. Take a minute to like this podcast and leave a positive review wherever you are listening to it. Support our podcast by going to onmessianicjudaism.com. My email address is daniel at nassim.org and I'm looking forward to your feedback. I am Dr. Daniel Nassim and this is On Messianic Judaism.